All right, welcome to uh, the first of our, uh, this year's May lecture series. Uh, let me remind everybody what it is that this is. Several years ago, our session, uh, our session decided that there needs to be an outlet in our, uh, in our, in our congregation for me to have the opportunity to do some teaching, not just preaching, which I do enjoy uh, doing, sometimes uh, a lot more, even more than preaching. Um, and the, the idea behind it is because, and those of you who have joined in the past couple of years or been through our foundations class recently, you know this, uh, that, that by and large, most people who come to our church do not come from our tradition, from a um, historical Reformed Presbyterian tradition. And so because of that, a lot of what we do and a lot of our practices and a lot of our doctrines are, um, are, are unfamiliar to a lot of people. And what, what we emphasize here is that you are more than welcome to join our fellowship um, at, at TCPC. We are, our doors are as wide as, as heavens. So if you, can, if you can get to heaven, you can get into TCPC. So, um, so and we do not, believe it or not, um, the purpose of this lecture series is not to tell you that only Presbyterians are going to heaven. I do not believe that. So, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to be a part of our church. However, of course, we're a Presbyterian church. And um, are y'all getting feedback? No? A little bit? No? I'm fine. Um, and, but, but we are a Presbyterian church, and so uh, we, we do want to... Uh, share with you um, our distinctives, why we believe in them, why we're passionate about them, and why we operate according to them. So um, we've done, um, we've done uh, infant baptism, we've done uh, election predestination, we've done covenant theology, um, and all those are online that you can go. And then this year we chose Presbyterianism, which sounds very riveting, right? Uh, four weeks on Presbyterianism. Um, but it's really important. Because, um, believe it or not, to be a Presbyterian is not those other things that I just said. It's not infant baptism. It's not presentation. It's not covenant theology. We all obviously believe those things and ascribe to them. But what I'm going to talk about these weeks is what makes us unique. What does it mean to be a Presbyterian? And I know that the vast majority of you do not come from a Presbyterian background. So let me, let me share where we're going with this. And then, um, and, then, and then we'll get into what I want to do today. Here's what I'm doing. I'm taking Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, and I'm going to reverse that, okay? So today we're going to look at church, as well as a church. Next week we're going to look at Presbyterian. What does it mean to be Presbyterian? And then the following week we're going to look at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. What is, it, what is our local church? What's unique about this Presbyterian church? Uh, so we're going to start really big and then narrow it all the way down. And then the last week, we're going to have a testimony uh, from somebody who um, did not grow up Presbyterian, uh, came to us uh, from outside that tradition, and he's going to share with you his journey and make it more personal um, so it's not just lecturing about church government, okay? But this week, we're starting really big, and we just need to ask, well, what's the church? Before we talk about Presbyterian, what's the church, okay? Um, all right, let me read a passage and then I'll pray for us. This is Matthew 16, 13 through 19. 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, and if you come from a Catholic background, you know um, how paramount this passage is. And we will talk about um, interpretations of it. But um, this, is, this is the first uh, church talk from Jesus. This is, this is the, the uh, promise to inaugurate and establish a church. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, show us the beauty and glory of the church that you died for. Show us your love for the church. Lord, we are, um, we're tempted to see uh, church talk as maybe boring or even we don't like the idea of institutions and denominations and organizations and, and all those different things. But Lord, uh, this, this institution is your beloved. And I pray that you would teach us to love the church as you love the church. Give us clarity of thought. And, um, and Lord, I pray that uh, what, what, what is being said here would be faithful and the challenges would be good. And uh, Spirit, that you would direct our time, not just today, but throughout this month as we explore uh, what it means to be members, um, yes, of the church, but of a Presbyterian church. Uh, thank you for this opportunity and for these friends who have gathered in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to, um, I have three observations from this uh, Matthew 16 passage. We're going to look at a, the church as a unique place, the unique promise, and a unique power. So place, promise, and power. And place we're going to spend most of the time where we're going to be defining it and whatnot. And then we're going to get into the promises that are given to the church and the power that belongs to the church. All right, first, that the church is a unique place. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. He's going to build something, okay, on this rock. We're going to talk about that. We are not going to talk about what he means by this rock uh, today. We're going to talk about that next week. But here's what I want us to see. There is something that I think people find confusing when we talk about the church. Is the church the people or the institution? Is it the people of God or is it the institution that the people of God belong to? The, the classic question you've, you've heard, if you've been in a foundation class, you've heard me ask before is, um, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, here are the people. Is it the steeple or the people? And of course, everybody always says, hey, walk into my trap. Oh, it's the people. It's not the steeple. You know, church isn't a building. Church is a steeple. And you're right, except there's something off in that answer. And it's this, that the church is exclusively this organic, disconnected, disorganized group of everybody who loves Jesus. And that there's no institutional alignment to it. There's no organization to it. There's no religion to it. It's not, they don't like organized religion and so forth. And um, that's what's popular to say today, to say that the church is the people of God, the body of Christ, not an institution. In fact, the institution is what 
is wrong with Christianity. You will hear this a lot in modern evangelicalism, that the institution itself is the, is the problem with Christianity. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's not an institution. It's the people. Is that true? Well, in one sense, it's true, and I understand the sentiment behind it, but in another sense, it could not be further from the truth. The Bible speaks of the church in those two ways almost interchangeably. Sometimes the scriptures speak of the church as the people of God. Yes, it's just this um, organic people of God, body of Christ. Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemishes, but holy and blameless. He's talking about the people of God there when he talks about the church. Other times, the scriptures speak of it as an institution, like the passage I just read that we are looking at in Matthew 16, where Christ talks about building something. He's going to build something that is called the church. In the Bible, it is written to, mostly written to, local churches, organized, instituted churches. That's most of the, uh, that's most of the New Testament, just like a church you go to, we go to on Sunday. In fact, the majority of Testament are letters to churches and addressed in the plural, not singular. One of the, defo- one of the problems with um, Greek to English is that Greek is a much more nuanced, specific language than, than English. And um, so we say you. And so when you translate in, in all of the, um, in all of the uh, letters, the epistles and so forth, and it says you this, you do this, you are this, whatever. Well, we individualize those every time. But those are written to churches. And for the most part, that you is plural in the Greek. And we don't have a plural you. So what it would really help is just to adopt the, the southern y'all. Seriously. The Bible needs a y'all. Uh, and, and so when you're reading these things in your mind as you're reading the scriptures, uh, most of the time when you shows up, think y'all not you. So we can say this, the New Testament speaks of the church both as the collection of God's people and as the institution that they belong to. In fact, many times those can be interchangeable. In a sense, it would not be wrong to interpret a verse that speaks about the church, both in terms of the people of God and the institution of God, because both were simultaneously in view. And that's the point. There's a reason for this. The fulfillment of Old Testament Israel, and if you disagree with this, Um, I I did an entire lecture series on covenant theology. I would commend that to you. Um, But we believe that the fulfillment, the fulfillment, not the replacement, the fulfillment of Old Testament Israel um, that was a nation and people of Israel is the church. So going back to Israel, when you say Israel, you can speak of the nation or the people or most often both interchangeably. The authors of the New Testament simply view the church as the fulfillment of Israel the same way. The church has become Israel always should have been, never was. The church is the realization of all the greatest hopes and dreams of Israel. And so they view and speak about the church in similar ways as they view to speak about Israel. And when you, talk, when you look in the Old Testament how they viewed and speak about Israel, it is both the members of Israel and the nation. And there is no concept that somebody could be a part of the people to be a Jewish person, but I don't want to be a member of the nation. There's no way. It's the two are one and the same. And that's how it is with the church. Now, why am I saying this? I don't think I have to convince you that being a part of the church, meaning the people of God, is important. Most of you here are delighted to be a part of that and identify with that. 
I have no problem being identified as a Christian, as a, a part of the people of God, and so forth. But then there's this disconnect. Because when it comes to the institution of the church, not the people, but the institution, many are apathetic, indifferent, perhaps even annoyed and antagonistic toward the church as an institution. My friends, I want you to know that's wrong. You can't be a part of God's people and reject God's institution. Now, I know that for this group and this crowd, that's probably not much of an issue. Some of it may be for you. But it's probably not much of an issue. You're probably all in on this. But this is important to understand the climate of Christianity today, especially since these lectures get shared and, and used as resources. There's no category for someone who says, I want to be part of the people of God, but not the institution, a member of the church. Okay, but what qualifies as the church? Okay, we've got to be a part of the church, got to be a part of the institution. What's that institution? Is it just Presbyterians? Is it just TCPC? What is it that defines the church, right? Well, um, historically, that, that, that is answered, well, it's nuanced out more than I have time to say here, but the broad general answer is that it's historically defined by the orthodoxy of the ancient creeds. These creeds that we recite, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, which is a little bit more specific. Um, if, if you're a tradition that subscribes to the ancient creeds of orthodoxy, you would be considered a part of the, you know, I'm use the word Catholic church, but I don't mean Roman Catholic church. I mean Catholic as an adjective, as, as the universal church. You're a part of the church. When you get outside of historical orthodoxy, which typically, ha typically happens around, honestly, Trinitarian issues, and, um, and, most, and most often, um, Christology issues, Jesus issues, denying uh, the eternality of Jesus, calling him create, the first created, uh, as like the Jehovah Witnesses do. When you get outside of historical creeds and orthodoxy, then you are outside the bounds of the church. Uh, Catholic uh, stands for universal. I mean, it's big, and there's different strands, and there's different traditions, and there's different, different denominations. But as soon as you get into heresy... By the way, we throw that word around way too much, okay? Heresy is officially a damnable, damnable, is that how you say that word? How do you say that word, Mark? Damnable. Damnable, yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't sound right. Anyway, heresy is a doctrine that if you believe, if you subscribe to, you cannot be a Christian, Okay? So there are so many different views that we disagree on, and we're way too quick to say, he's a heretic, or that's heresy. No, 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 be very careful with that word. Heresy means I subscribe to something that is outside of orthodoxy. I am not a part of the church, okay? So we get this huge umbrella bound by the Apostles' Creed and Trinitarian orthodoxy and Christ and the cross and resurrection and, and all of these different things. So it's a huge, huge, huge umbrella, but it is important that you are under that umbrella in some capacity. You are not allowed to say, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want the organized religion of Christianity. I want to be considered a part of the people of God, 
but I don't want the institution of God. That's like saying, I want to be married to you, but I don't want to have the ceremony, say the vows, put a ring on. And all that institutional stuff of marriage. Why don't we just act married? Or even worse, to be honest with you, it's like saying, I want to be married to myself, which is actually a trend now. And if you knew that culturally, it's sologamy. Ceremony vows, seriously. They have vows uh, where, where you show up by yourself and, and you say vows to yourself, promise to love and accept myself, and you throw a ceremony. I don't need marriage. I'm going to throw a ceremony, cut the cake, go on a honeymoon by myself. It's marrying myself. As ridiculous as that sounds, that's as ridiculous is the notion of an individual Christian of individualized Christianity. I want to be a Christian, but not a part of the church. To be a Christian is to be a part of the church. Okay. Again, what qualifies the church? All that, um, that, that is bound within orthodoxy. Certainly not, I'm not making the case that Presbyterianism is the only strand of the church. So that's the church, okay? All right. Um, let's move on to the promise that Jesus gives to the church. Okay, we're going to come back to, to the idea of church membership in a second, but let's, let's move on to the promise. Here's the promise. I'm going to build a church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's a huge promise. And that is a promise that is not given to any other institution by God. No other culture, no other nation, no other government, no institution, no club, no university, no market, Nothing is given the promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is, that is very important to understand. This is the one thing that is promised to endure, so you need to be a part of it. Okay? This is not given to America. This is not given to America. This was not given to the Roman Empire, which is no more. And America, if the Lord tarries, will be no more at some point. This is not given to a cultural movement like the West or the East, China. This is given to nothing except this one thing that continues to transcend all cultures and nations and ethnicities and tongues and tribes. This, this one huge, massive institution called the church over which the gates of hell will not prevail. And as just an application aside, that's a really good test. That's a really good test for your allegiance. Meaning this, if America fell, but the church, of course, will not fall, are you okay? Would it be more devastating? Would you rather have this say, and I'm just saying America is where we live. Whatever your culture or your allegiance or wherever you're tempted to, to be a dual citizen too much. Is it more important to you that this promise is given to the church or to your whatever? You could say local church. Local churches are not given this promise. The church is given the promise. So TCPC does not have this promise. There may come a day that those doors are shut and this building is sold. I just got back from Scotland, believe me. There might be a day when this is all over. But the church will endure. You okay with that? You okay with that? Or are we more allegiance to TCPC, Presbyterianism, Evangelicalism, than the church? It's a really good test to our allegiance of what do we want to endure forever. Anyway, that's just a, an aside uh, application there. But the institute of the church is the only thing that will endure. And it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, if you've studied this text before, you know um, that that gates metaphor actually means that the church and hell, well, it certainly means the church and hell are in a battle that transcends every battle. That Satan hates the church more than he hates 
uh, other institutions, other nations. In fact, all of what's going on in the world is just going at the church, going at the people of God. The, the true transcendent battle is the evil powers of darkness against the church. But the promise is that the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail. But the imagery um, is that the church is on the offensive and the church is going to win. The gates of hell are being, are, 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 are being bombarded by the church and those gates cannot stand the offense of the church. So we're not, I think we had this idea that when we read this passage that we're like this, this uh, persecuted, huddled up minority, but God's given us this promise that don't worry, hell won't prevail over you. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. The church is the offensive force of righteousness and love and goodness in this world, and hell cannot stop us. The gates of hell cannot stop the institution of the church. So it has this unique promise of endurance and power. Let's look at the unique power. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here's what he's saying there in this very controversial passage. The manifestation of God's power and authority on earth is the church. This is a very weighty and serious promise. What you, I'm giving you the keys to heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is a huge and very significant promise of power. Now let me explain shall have been bound because that's the actual reading of the Greek. Um, if you, this is not, um, the power and authority of the church does not cause things in heaven to happen, but it has the backing of heaven. So a literal reading of this would be whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So the imagery is that God's will in heaven is being manifested on earth through the authority of the church. So it's not an infallible promise as the Catholics would interpret it that we have the power of heaven. I can send, we can condemn people to hell. We can get them out of purgatory, anything like that. No, 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 no. This is just saying that we have the authoritative backing of heaven on earth. Now that's still a huge promise. That is still a weighty authority. When we pray, thy will be done, on earth, as it is in heaven, do you know how God answers that prayer? The church. How is the will of heaven done on earth? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. The church is answering the Lord's prayer of bringing heaven down to earth. So there is this... Um, this is uh, this, this unique authority that nothing else has. In the same way that it has this unique promise that nothing else has, there's a unique authority that nothing else has. Now, there are many implications to this teaching, uh, particularly as it pertains to the mission of the church and the power of the church in the world with this promise. But for the purposes of our series, I just want to focus on one, and it has to do with you individually or those listening to the podcast. And it'd just be this. Unique promise, unique power, so here, you need to submit yourself to the institutional power and authority of the church. Postmodernism hates authority, especially institutional authority. All movies that are made now, if you watch it, the bad guy is the institution, the big bad institution. 
always corrupt, always evil, always being fought back by the individual. This is the story of our age. You should be your own free individual with authority structure, without authority structures and rules and traditions and regulations and religion and so forth. And then here's a church at TCPC that when you join, we ask you this question in a postmodern age. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? That is so unique. That is so unique. Um, and, and I understand that most churches just don't view themselves that way and don't practice church discipline and church authority. But I submit myself to the government and discipline of an institution that's not the nature of modern Christianity. Modern Christianity either has no authority, like just totally authority less, but definitely not institutional authority. The authority that we do are, is individualized authority. It's accountability groups. Here's my authority. I'll get my best friends together who think like me, talk like me, like the things I like, love the things I love, struggle the way I struggle. I'll get people like me together and say, let's hold each other accountable. And that will be the authority over me. This individualized, non-institutionalized authority. And here is a church saying, will you submit yourself to government and discipline? But I want to tell you that the authority of church is good for you. You need to be told what to do. I need to be told what to do. You need to be told what to do by an institutional authority. I need to be told what to do by an institutional authority. Not my friends, not just my friends, not just your friends. If I did the individualistic Christianity thing, it would be so easy for me to fall away from the faith and nobody ever know or care or certainly able to stop it. Which is why in my history of youth and college ministry, if you look at what is the only common theme that I can find between um, high school and college students who maintain the faith throughout the years and don't, it's those who submit themselves to the church and those who try to do the individual Christian thing. If you try to do the individual Christianity thing, even if you go to church, but you come to church as, I'm not joining this place, I'm not submitting this place, I'll sit in the pew, I'll get what I want, and then I'm out and I'll go have my friends. If that's how you do Christianity, it is so easy to leave the faith because there's nothing there officially to stop it. Even if my even if I if my friends try to step in and say and say um, and say you know you, you can't do this Robert you're going down the wrong path repent you know what I can say well what gives you the right only God can judge me and that's right what gives you the authority only God can judge me except that God has given His authority on earth to something an institution so when you say only God can judge me. And don't think punitive judgment here. Only God can make these judgment calls. Who are you to say that to me? Only God can make those judgment calls. The proper theological answer is right, and God has given that authority to the church, the institution. Not me, not your accountability group. So you could say, you're right, I can't judge you, but the church can. The church can. And so you need that authority. Maybe you think you don't need it. That would be a huge problem if you did. But I need that authority structure of the church over me, the authority, the discipline, and the loving, tender accountability of the institution. That is so weighty, this idea of submission to an institution. 
That is so weighty and so significant that we need to ask the question, how should that institution be organized? If I'm going to submit my life, if I'm going to submit my soul to an institution, I really care how that institution does authority. I really care how that institution does discipline. That matters a lot. And so the obvious question that that emerges from this idea of the, the unique power and authority of the church is, okay, how should that do it? How should that be done? How should the church do authority? How should the church do power? Should it be an infallible head of the church, the Pope, who is an infallible authoritative voice over an enormous hierarchy? Um, should it be individual congregations getting together and, and kind of the, the, the power of the majority speaks? So that would be a congregationalist form of church government where, where you're the authority. The authority is not top down, but it's bottom up and you're the authority and we'll have congregational meetings and we'll decide everything together and may the majority speak. How should we do this? That's a big question if you're going to submit yourself to the government and discipline the church. Well, that's next week. Sorry. I'm going to give you the right way to do it next week. I think. The biblical way. Simple application here at the beginning, though. You need to submit yourself to the church. I hope it's this one. I really do. I'm going to try to convince you next week for it to be this one. Okay? I really hope it's this church. Um, I would love for you to join our fellowship. I'm a big believer in Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. I think it's a good one. That said, if you get through this and you say, not down with the Presbyterian thing, not down with the way y'all do things, it's great. I love you. Please, may I help you find a local church in this city that you can submit to? And I mean that. I would rather have you in covenantal submission to a local body than for you to add to my attendance numbers by sitting in these pews. It is more important to me for you to be a member of a church than my attendance numbers, our attendance numbers. I don't care. I care about your soul. And your soul flourishes underneath the authority of the church. So my, my one and only, and I know many of you are our members. My, here's my application. Um, first application of this whole thing as we get into this. You need to join the church. I would love for it to be a Presbyterian church. I would love for it to be Tate's Creek Presbyterian church. That's what I'm gonna try to convince you of in the next few weeks. If after that, it's not us, that's great. I got a lot of great churches in this town that I could send you to. I know the pastors. I'll say, this is the greatest person. You're gonna love having this person in your church. Take care of them well. We love them. We can do that. But join a church. Sologamy is off the table for Christians. You are not allowed to be married to yourself. You need to join the institution. Let me pray. Lord, we pray in thanksgiving that you have not left us by ourselves, that you have not given us the weighty and impossible task of doing Christianity individually. This messy, difficult struggle of a journey that is our sanctification, that it has to be done in community and it has to be done under authority. Lord, thank you that you have blessed us. We, we look at institutions with scorn and, and, and quite frankly, Lord, we get that because the church is so messy and it does 
do things wrongly so often. But Lord, I pray that we would not overreact and see the beauty of an institution that exists for your glory and the good of your people. Lord, I pray that you would recommit all of us, and I include myself in this, that that we would all recommit ourselves to submission. Maybe that's joining a church. Maybe that's saying, I am more committed than ever to being involved in this church, to being known at this church, to submitting myself to the authority and discipline of this church, recommitting ourselves to community and authority for the first time or once again. And Lord, as we... um, as we look um, at what it means to be a Presbyterian church next week and in the coming weeks, I pray, God, um, that you would help us um, to have this conversation with charity and kindness and, and joy and it'd be winsome. And, and Lord, so often these, these conversations just turn into dividing lines and that's, that's nonsense, God. I pray that we would do this well and we'd be able to champion what we believe is good and right Um, but not at the exclusion of other traditions and cultures and so forth. So um, I pray that I would give a good representation of our church. And um, if this is not the place for someone, I pray they would find the place that they can joyfully submit to the government and discipline of the church. Thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail, that the church is on the offense, that the church will triumph, that thy kingdom will come and thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven through this mighty institution, the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, our rock. Amen.